Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Henry, for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. Tiffany is going to explain why we must develop an experience mindset. We'll define what we mean by that an experienced mindset, which considers both the customer and the employee experience in order to grow our small business. To receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. And I encourage you to please subscribe wherever you do listen to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Let me tell you a little bit more about Tiffany. Tiffany Bova is the global customer growth and innovation and evangelist at Salesforce and the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Growth IQ. And her new book, which we're going to chat about today, is called or entitled The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. And so over the past two decades, she has led large revenue producing divisions at businesses ranging from startups to Fortune 500, and as a research fellow at Gartner, her cutting-edge insights have helped Microsoft, Cisco, Salesforce, HP, IBM, Oracle, SAP, AT&T, Dell, and Amazon, AWS, and other prominent companies. She has helped them expand their market share and grow their revenues. She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 twice. And she's also the host of her own podcast, What's Next with Tiffany Boba. Tiffany lives in the Los Angeles, California area. Once again, Tiffany Bova, welcome to the show. Well, that was a kind introduction. Thank you, Henry. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to be with me. Um, I want to start with this question because I was doing the research. I saw you went to high school in Hawaii, in Honolulu. Is that right? That is correct. I was born and raised there. So you uh, were. Interesting. I was. I didn't leave full time until I was 30. So. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So what did just briefly, how did that do you think being born and raised in Hawaii influence your perspective on life? I know that's a big question, but but what do you think it did it how did it impact you? Well, I think many people when I was a kid didn't understand, wait, people live in Hawaii. Right. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I was born in the 60s. So travel didn't become available, uh, you know, as easily and readily available as it did kind of until the late 70s, 80s. Uh, so I'd come to the main mainland and, you know, I'd meet other kids. They'd be like, oh, do you guys like, do you live in shacks? Like, <laughs> and, and I know that sounds funny now, but it was really literally the question. So, you know, I'd always, I'd always tease and say, yeah, we do. You know, we, we share. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I'd have a little fun with it. Um, but it gave me a very unique perspective to the culture of the Pacific Rim. You know, right. it's very Asia Pacific, Pacific Islanders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was Caucasian. I am Caucasian. So it's Howley is really the, the term that gets mm -hmm. used there. Uh, and so it, it was an interesting dynamic, but it really gave me a, a wonderful lens into, especially now in business, how cultural differences matter and paying mm -hmm. attention to that. Uh, it gave me um, a huge 
uh, appreciation for other points of view and other cultures that that I've just taken through my life. I, I yeah. think it was I wouldn't change my childhood for anything. That's yeah, for sure. no, I can imagine that was a tremendous influence. You you grew up in that environment. So, yeah, it made you very aware of that. Thanks for sharing that. Then, of course, you had a, a significant and successful sales career, sales and sales management. I can't pass up because, you know, I was in sales as well, and I'm always looking to get better as a salesperson and have done sales coaching. In your experience, what do you think makes for a great salesperson? I always lean into my own story, which is, I think, sports uh, and that competitiveness in, in that kind of extracurricular activity growing up really prepares you for so many things, but more importantly for sales, for sure. One is right. How to compete and win, um, but also how to win with grace and then how to lose um, keeping your head held high because sales is all about winning and losing. And if you don't have that kind of temperament to understand, you're not going to win them all uh, and you're not going to lose them all that you just have to kind of keep fighting, but also being prepared training, and I do that in air quotes, you know, about what you do every day, you'll get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Practice matters. The equipment you use, you know, in a sport, well, it's the tools you use in selling. I, I think there's a lot of correlation. And so I, I'm a huge fan in whether it's not competitive, but it's just that put yourself in a situation in, I don't care if it's ping pong, pool, tennis, pickleball, like pick something, right? If you're in sales, uh, I'd be surprised if, if you weren't also in sports, because I think that's a great learning ground for it. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that analogy. You know, the other analogy I make really to sports and sales is sometimes it's, it's a numbers game. You don't get any at bats. You have to get more at bats so that you can uh, be successful. Right. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that perspective. I appreciate that. All right, you're a, a growth, a global growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce. So what the heck does that mean briefly? I was curious about that. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, with a full body of work for 30 years, I, it's still one of the most asked questions I get. Tell Is me that about right? your title. Yeah. Yeah. What does, uh, that, what does that mean? Yeah, I have no um, internal, if you will, responsibility, meaning I'm an individual contributor. I don't have people reporting to me anymore. I am really externally facing um, advising and working with our customers on how best to leverage technology and be responsive uh, to changes that may be coming to the business. And it gives me this opportunity to see businesses from startups all the way to Fortune 5 companies, mm -hmm. right? And what's interesting about that is the problems are the same. It's the scale that's different. It's the number of customers that's different. It's the budget that's different. It's the number of tools that get used that's different. But at the end of the day, businesses do two things. I'm oversimplifying here, obviously. They make stuff, they sell stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you have one employee or two employees or 200,000 employees, you make stuff, you sell stuff. It's just you make more stuff and you sell more stuff. And it's more complicated as you get bigger. Right. But if you can stay grounded in the, the things I'm facing as a business, uh, I get to evangelize those best practices. I can learn from different industries and share them more broadly. So it is really uh, a dream job, I, yeah. I must say. Yeah, I love it. Great. Thanks for explaining that. That's, that is fantastic. All right, let's talk about the book. The book, again, is entitled The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. And if you're listening to this episode, the day it was released on a Monday, the Monday it was released, and the book is ready for pre-order. You can pre-order it now or tomorrow 
It's, uh, I don't know what to call it, live. In other words, you can buy it tomorrow and have it delivered right away on Amazon, but you can pre-order it already. So this is exciting. This is your new book. I always ask this question, why did you write the book and who is it for? Such a great question. I wrote another book called Growth IQ back in 2018, and it was really the 10 levers to growth that I learned through the course of being a practitioner on sales, marketing, and customer service, again, for startups all the way to Fortune 500 companies. And then I spent a decade as a research analyst at a company called Gartner Advising Startups and the companies you sort of rattled off on how to be better with customer service and sales and marketing. And that book was really the culmination of all I learned and all the advice I'd given and how could I create something that was digestible. So, you know, entrepreneurs, small business owners and or executives could look at it and use it as a reference. But what I didn't do in those 10 levers to growth was talk about the importance of the employee to the way in which companies are able to grow their business. So I anchor in this quote, the fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love their job. Mm. And if you can just sit in that for a moment, and now you may have two employees or five employees, they may all work in the same place or they may work from home in a decentralized fashion. But in those moments that matter that your employees will touch a customer in some way, on a sales call, on a service call, you know, they may be working in a small business, you know, at a retail store and you've got a dozen part-time workers. It's difficult to get everybody understanding that value of great experience for the customer. But more importantly, as business owners, it's our responsibility to make sure that our people have what they need to be successful. And when I started to dig into what are the ways in which we can improve the customer experience, because I'd been studying it for almost 15 years, I realized in Growth IQ, I totally missed employee experience. And so this was my way to kind of almost go back, you know, in full Mm -hmm. transparency. It's kind of the 11th path of the 10 paths to growth that I missed in the first book. I had no plans of writing the second one, but the pandemic really uh, shined a light and cracked open this lack of investment we had been making for employees. And we saw the result of that, the great resignation, quiet quitting, you know, people finding it difficult to find talent, you know, changing their office hours and their retail store hours because they can't find people to work. What is the underlying reason that's happening? And, and that's really what the book, The Experience Mindset is about and how companies can be better uh, with their employees to ensure that they're more loyal, engaged, satisfied, and willing to do what it is you want them to do to serve your customers. Yeah. Excellent, Stephanie. It's interesting as you make the point about this focus on your employees love their jobs. It's uh, again, as it relates to large company versus small company, same problem. It's a scale difference. You know, larger organizations have to worry about how does this machine, how does this uh, this mass of people work uh, in alignment, right? But in a small business, I, it's even more impactful because likely all of my employees have direct impact, right? Uh, they're more impactful because there's less of them, right? They're, I can't hide people that aren't good at something or whatever it might be. Um, so it becomes even more impactful. If I lose a key employee in a smaller business, it's that much more impactful, right? Um, or it can be. So, so it gets really magnified, I think, for a small business, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does. And I want to 
just for a second, unpack what I mean by employee experience and customer yes. experience. So, right. Yeah. If you're, if you're a small business and you have three people, you're, let's say you're an accountant, a CPA, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, your team has to call your customers and let's say schedule their tax appointments. And they're like, yeah, you, uh, hi, you know, Tiffany, I'm booking your appointment for this year, you know, coming up this year. And I say, okay, great. Sure. Here are the dates I have available. And they say, great. We'll give you an appointment from one to one thirty. And then I have, then I say back, well, hold on a second. Like I'm doing my corporate taxes, my personal taxes, you know, every year prior it's, we've booked a 90 minute meeting. Oh, okay. Well then we can't do that day. Let me go to another day. (laughs) Okay. Is that a great experience for the customer? No. Right. I'm having to educate that employee that hold on. I actually do two tax returns and the meeting, you know, our time with the accountant is usually 90 minutes. Well, if there was a system that had that information, when I called, I would be like, hi, Tiffany, it's time for your tax time. We'd love to help you with both your corporate and personal taxes. I know every year we book 90 minutes. Do you think that will still be good? Let's just say I'm leaving a voicemail. Right. We've got these days available. Please get back to me and let me know. Now, all of a sudden, it's very personalized. I've shared that I know them, right? I care about the fact that I know they need 90 minutes and they're going to do these two things. And you could apply that across any kind of industry, right? But Mm -hmm. now, all of a sudden, when I call back, I'm like, oh, you know, okay, Henry, thank you for calling and leaving that message. Yeah, that date works for me. And we are right in alignment. And I move on. Right. It's not a, I have to spend 10 minutes. No, I need to do this tax and that tax and whatever it might be. So the employee has a better experience because now I'm feel prepared and I don't feel like I'm just insensitive to the customer on the other end of the phone. The customer feels more appreciated. And then guess what? Maybe there's an ad on the radio from a big fortune 500 tax company, right? Software company. You can guess who I'm talking about. Right. And we could do it for $49 or $79, or you can do your single tax for free or whatever the case might be. The customer would go, I would never do that because Henry knows me. Mm-hmm. I feel like he takes care of me. He knows all the ins and outs of what I've done over the last five years. I won't leave him because of that experience. Everybody wins. So that's just a quick example, right? It's sometimes it's the tools that the employees use, meaning the systems, the technology. It might be the processes that they do their job. It might be the culture of the small business, right? If it's a toxic culture, your employees are going to dial for, yeah, I'm booking your appointment. Oh, you don't want to do it. Okay, great. Thanks. Hang up. Instead of like, wait, hold on a second. You know, we've done your taxes for five years. I'd love to understand why you're not. Right. That, those kinds of things. And especially for a small business, you just mentioned, Henry, right? Losing an employee is more impactful. Losing a customer is more impactful. Of course. Because you expect and want uh, that revenue. So that is a, just a quick example of how those two things play, play together. Okay. But help me understand why it is that, as you explain, uh, you begin to explain in the book and elsewhere, we have been so focused on the customer experience and fixing that. Uh, what is it that I often then could miss as to how to consider the employee experience? Because if I followed you so far, by default, by fixing the customer experience, by applying tools or systems or a process, I'm thereby already making the employee experience better. But what else is it that I'm missing about the employee experience that I might overlook if all I'm focused is on the customer experience? Well, let's go back to the example I just gave. If I was only focused on customer experience, it would be like, okay, it's 
90 minute meeting. It's this, it's that. But the employee didn't have all that information. Mm -hmm. So it's not a great employee experience, right? I feel like I'm not prepared for the call. So if you, let's just pick websites as an example. Let's say, you know, many small businesses, that's one of their largest expenses, right? Getting the website up and working. If you're in a commerce driven business and you're selling something online, you want to make it very easy for customers to buy from you online, right? Two, three clicks, give me, you know, payment information. I have multiple options. You can pay with PayPal. You can pay with Zillow. You can pay with, you know, uh, pay later or credit card, whatever the case might be, you make it all easy. And for a customer, it's simple. They hit, you know, buy now. But then let's just say it sends an email to the employee. Now the employee has to take that credit card information, enter it into the billing system, right? And then enter the information of what they bought into the you know, supply chain or the warehouse or the ERP system to you know, pull it from the warehouse and then ship it. And then they have to enter it somewhere else. So while it was really seamless and easy for the customer, yeah. on the back end, the employee is having to jump through all these hoops enter the data into all these places to quote unquote, make it happen. And so you made it really easy for the customer, low effort, great experience. And the effort for the employee is high and the yeah. experience for the employee is low. And tedious. And it's a, a, a prone to errors and all of that kind of thing, which just creates stress and, and all that, uh, all that stuff. I think this also has to speak to, and I'm sure you covered this in the book as well, Tiffany, that it's also part of that new process or whatever I implement that I spend enough time training the employee on how to do it. You know, you do, as you use the example of the CPA, that's a script that ideally that employee has been trained on. This is how we say it. This is why we say it. This is what we're trying to accomplish here. And I've always found that if you invest in training people, instead of just throwing them at the job, uh, just about everybody appreciates that, right? And so that's got to be part of what you're talking about as well with the employee experience. Is that correct? It is. And so if you take that example you just gave, of course, it's a script. Okay. Well, what happens if the customer asks something and it's mm -hmm. off script? Off script. Yeah. Okay. And it's off script. So have you empowered the employee to make a decision in that moment? Mm -hmm. Are you giving them the freedom, right? To listen, to be empathetic, to solve the customer's problem, even if it's a little off script. I think we can all name number of examples when you call and you can tell someone's <laughs> reading a script oh, yeah. and they repeat what you say. And I'm here to help you do this. And you're like, I don't need you to reinforce what I'm saying. And, right. and you could tell they're reading a script. So the script is just, Hey, listen, this is, we need to say these kinds of things, right. but I don't need you to read it word for word. No, and these so, are the main points that I want you to communicate. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you have to give them a little bit of leeway to then solve what the customer needs or answer the questions within the guardrails that you've given. So it's not right. just training on the script, it's hiring the right people, right? Trusting them to do what's right for the business, helping them understand why you need this, these pieces of information. So they're always aiming towards getting it and they understand why it's important instead of like, Ugh, I have to ask these five questions because I have to fill in these five fields. And right. oh my God, I've done it 1200 times today. And it's just, <laughs> I'm totally bored and I've checked out. I'm just collecting a paycheck and I just don't care. That's not what you want to have happen. Um, so it's important to understand that the script is a way to make sure there's consistency and you're capturing all the information, but you don't want it to constrain your people from doing what's best in that moment for both the customer and as well for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the the word empowering is the one I would come back to because that's that's one I, I use often. We we have to with guardrails, as you said, with guidelines, empower our our team, our people, especially the ones that are customer facing, to be able to make decisions to help and solve the customer's problem. I think also what, what's coming to mind here is, and I can see myself having been guilty of this in the past, having implemented systems that when we go to implement a technology or a system, we're usually focused, if it's customer facing on that experience, like you said, and I don't know that we always, like you, is what you're highlighting, take into, into account what is the impact on my internal process, on the employee? Is it going to create more work? Is it going to create more tedious work? Is there those kinds of things? And that's part of what you're talking about, right? To consider that impact as well when I'm applying technology as an example. Yeah, there's pros and cons to it. Look, obviously, I work at Salesforce. I'm a huge proponent of using technology in an appropriate way, especially with customer-facing individuals, to allow them the flexibility and speed and agility to be responsive to what customers need. But let me give you an example. One of the research uh, projects that we did in, in sort of one of the foundational aspects of the book was there was a retailer, and this is a large retailer, it's a thousand storefronts in the US. And there's a handful that have a thousand. So we, you could probably guess who it is, but I actually don't know who it is. Um, it was a blind research study that we did. I see. And so it was part-time employees and full-time employees. And we could see what revenue they were generating per hour as a store employee. When they started to focus on employee experience, they started to uncover where were the bottlenecks in service. So if I'm walking around the store and I don't have a handheld iPad or smart device in my hand and something is not on the shelf and a customer asks me, there's nothing I can do. I could just say, oh, sorry, we're out or right. go up to the counter and ask them or, you know, let me go see if we have any in the back. The moment they put something in their hand and we, they could look hmm. and immediately see, oh, we don't have any in the store. However, I can order for it, it order, order it for you right now. Would you like me to do that? And I can even put it at point of sale waiting for you. So when you check out with everything else, you could check out with that and it will ship. Would you like it tomorrow, three days, five days? You know, um, you could even come back and pick it up later if we could get it at another store, whatever the case might be, right? But that kind of real time, I, would, I was able to do it. Yeah. And then it was looking, do they have the inventory? You know, do they have the ability to do it? So if you're thinking and you're listening to this and you might have a little store, right. And you know, you have small inventory because you just can't afford to have lots of stuff in the back, but right. you want to make sure you're satisfying that need right away. Do you want your employee to just let the customer walk out? Do you want to put the onus on them to look online or do you want to take care of it right there? Mm -hmm. When they did that, by the way, there were other things that they were looking at, to your point, Henry, training, um, you know, part-time and full-time employee, you know, that has bearing on um, how engaged and committed sure. they are and how invested they are in your business. If they're part-time, it's very different than if they're full-time. They saw a 50-50% increase in revenue per employee per hour Ridiculous. when they started to improve those things. So for small businesses, when you hear me talking or others, right, talking about something like this, I don't want you to all of a sudden go, it's too expensive for me. Right. I can't it's too burdensome yeah. for me. It's too complicated for me. I'm, you know, I wear 92 hats. How can I focus on this? It is focusing on things you already have in your toolkit. And so if you want to start to go down this path, 
my suggestion to you is to ask the people who work for you now a series of questions, right? How can I make your job easier, like less burnout, less mundane, less boring, <laughs> all the things yeah. we just said? What kind of training would help you? Are the systems helpful or do they just bog you down? Is the data all over the place and you can't find it? You know, am I not enabling and empowering you to actually approve a return under $50? You have to go get approval from me and maybe I'm not in the office. And so it delays everything. Like where are their bottlenecks? Your people know the answers to these questions. You don't have to worry about figuring it out on your own. You just have to be willing to ask. And by solving, beginning to solve those bottlenecks, not only the results of that is going to be a win-win-win. It's going to be a win for the overall experience, probably for our customers, because we're going to be more efficient, more productive, whatever combination thereof. And it's going to make it a better experience for that employee to do their job. You're, that's another, I think, example of empowering them. So, so it's, so by solving that, especially when you're talking about mundane, repetitive tasks, you know, unless we're talking about an assembly line, right? But that's not typically what we're talking about here. It, you, I think you will find it nine times out of 10, I suspect, Tiffany, it's, it solves a lot of problems in the business. It does. And look, it can seem overwhelming and I understand it. And especially when it comes to technology. Mm-hmm it's expensive. It's complicated. I don't have someone in-house who knows how to do it. Like you right. know, my cousin's brother's sister's daughter <laughs> comes yeah. in once a month and does my tech. I mean, I get it. But if you're looking to build an organization that is prepared to grow, you have to make these investments. Yeah. And so, you know, look, it is a very small percentage of businesses that ever grow over $5 million. It's in the single digit range in the US. Millions of businesses start every year. <laughs> Millions of businesses don't make it every year. Right. It's tough. Yep. So I don't want to blaze past the fact that this can be overwhelming. But if you can just really take that step back and, and start to ask those questions of your people, but then also ask yourself the question of when and where was my last best experience with a company? And I don't care who it was, big or small. Right. I don't care what industry. And list them and then say why. Oh, they knew my name or they were really responsive. They got back to me right away. They were willing to you know, go above and beyond, whatever the reason, right? Whatever the reason. And then do the same for your last bad experiences and why. Mm -hmm. And really start to say, if I were to ask my customers, would I be in your top five best experiences or would I be in your bottom five yeah. worst, you know, your worst, your five worst experiences, where would they say? And if you don't overwhelm, overwhelmingly say and believe that you're in the top five best experiences, there's work to do. Yeah. If you know you're in the bottom five and it feels like I don't even know how to get myself out of the situation I'm in. That's where breaking it up into digestible chunks will start to allow you to feel small wins, right? Small improvements. And over time, you will get yourself on the other side of that. Yeah, I agree. And get help if you need it, right? Because sometimes we need that that outside perspective to help Absolutely. us see that and, and prioritize. Absolutely. But don't, uh, I'll give an example from the book. There, mm -hmm. There is a... Uh, 
I had the opportunity and, and pleasure to uh, work with uh, somebody who's in Dragon's Den in Canada, which is the Canadian version of Shark Tank in the U.S. Ah, okay. Okay. So she's a dragon, right? Investing in startups. She's got one of her own um, and she's built a double unicorn, $2 billion business mm. from a startup uh, in her late thirties, highly successful, hyper growth mode, got herself to a hundred and change employees. So not massive, right? But started small and, and grew very, very quickly and felt like it was starting to get bogged down. Like this hyper growth was starting to drive complexity into the business and started to show cracks in the systems, et cetera. And instead of going outside and hiring a big consulting company mm. and saying, it's going to be a large project and kind of what you were saying, she said, you know what, I'm just going to set up an email box and excuse my language. So if you're listening to this podcast in, in your car and you've got kids in the car, turn down the volume for a second. <laughs> but she set up an email box that said stupid shit we do at and her company name and ask employees. Now, once again, right, it's only 100 employees. So if you listen to this and you've got more than that, I mean, it can get unwieldy. So, sure, you, know, yeah. you know, do you do it in a group, a division, whatever you might do? But bottom line was it was really stupid stuff they were doing that they weren't mm. aware they were still doing or they're doing that they shouldn't be doing anymore. Or wait a second, why are we doing that? Right. And very quickly, they just cleared out a whole bunch of things mm. that were silly right? That were no longer necessary or could just be a little tweaked and would be so much better. And what that did was it in, it ingrained this culture of trust. We asked, you answered, we fixed. And if we didn't fix, we told you why we didn't fix. And so now all of a sudden employee morale went up, right? yeah. productivity went up, resiliency went up, innovation went up, like everyone was re-engaged. It was a very quick exercise, not a 12-month, 18-month project. So I agree in going and getting help because once you identify this, now you have to prioritize. Now you have to make decisions. And that's where you may need help. But I don't want you to feel like it's something large that you have to undertake um, in order to get yourself through this. Yeah, no. Well, well said. Well said. I was hoping you could also share another example. Now you have, you have various examples in the book about businesses that are doing this well. Is there another example that comes to mind of businesses that you're seeing do this well, combining the, you know, as you call it, employee experience, the EX with the customer experience, the CX? Well, I find them every day. <laughs> I, you know, I, I sort of opened my eyes when it could be something like going to a restaurant. And being like, you know, the food was good, but the service was fantastic. Can't wait to come back. I've gone to restaurants where the food was spectacular and the service was terrible and I wouldn't go back. And so every single day it reinforces that we as humans make decisions um, around where we choose to do business, eat, shop, sleep, fly, <laughs> vacation, whatever, um, on these experiences. So, you know, as I say that, you know, maybe think back to that question I asked a few moments ago, what are the top five best experiences and the worst ones and why? But if I'm going to name brands, you know, people use the Zappos example or the Chewy example, right? You know, pet supplies, how do you make that unique and different? Are people just shopping on price? Well, but hold on, the experience at Chewy is they know my pet's name, they know my pet's birthday. I canceled my recurring shipments because my pet has passed. They sent me a condolence card. You know, they checked in on me, like whatever the case might be, 
those are the times where the employees are so part of what you think about that company. I asked the question uh, yesterday, actually, I was doing a keynote and, um, you know, people rattled off uh, in and out Chick-fil-A, you know, and then it would be, you know, a local restaurant or they would say, but it wasn't these big brands. Like no right. one shouted out Amazon and no one shouted out um, Starbucks. Although both those examples are in my book, they're in my book for different reasons. Mm -hmm. It is those little brands that are able to go that extra mile that sometimes the big brands can't do. Uh, and you can very quickly tell by how employees act with you as a customer yeah, and how they treat you um, when something is good or bad. Right. And yeah. uh, I, I think that that's where we all have the opportunity to be a lot more aware. And when an employee goes above and beyond as customers, we should acknowledge it. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Right. You went above and beyond, like, please send me a survey or, you know, whatever the case might be, because that reinforces this behavior that we really want to see um, change that mindset shift to taking care of our people so they can take care of our, our customers. Yeah. I think on this point, Tiffany, so much of it comes back to, you know, we've talked about the training and the development, but, but the empowerment of that employee uh, is what you're talking about, I think, there. Uh, and that's so critical. I think that's what we will see. If it's a business where we're, we're you know, we're interacting with a an employee or a representative of that business, uh, when things go wrong or not as well, uh, that's often when we can see how empowered is this employee to solve my issue, my problem. I think that's when it when it stands out. So like you said, looking for those opportunities can help us learn as small business owners what can, how can I take some of that and apply it to my business? Yeah. And it's something small. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank and it doesn't you. have to cost a lot yeah. of money. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, is it, you were talking about restaurants. I was just at a restaurant this weekend that we've been to several times and they just invested in handheld as a lot of restaurants are now handheld devices to, for me to pay. And it's one of the brands that you would recognize the tablet brand. So it's not expensive. This is not expensive technology now. Uh, it, it, you know, relatively speaking. And I know because I've owned restaurants. But I'll tell you the way that it was implemented, what I don't like the experience with, just to go off on a tangent here for a moment in restaurants, is when those devices, when the waiter or waitress holds it and has me pay there. I feel under pressure now to have to give you a great tip. And I don't like that. Instead, what obviously they're trained to do with this device is she simply left it on the table and said, when you're ready, you can just uh, follow the prompts and pay here. And so I loved that experience, that application of technology. It empowered the employee um, so they don't have to have that awkward encounter. It made me feel more comfortable about it. There was a survey at the end of it if I wanted to complete it. So it was a, I thought that was a great example of how the employee uh, that benefits the employee, because of course it makes the whole transaction easier for them, right? And But also it made it a positive experience for me as the customer. So let me jump in there. Let's, let, let me be, play kind of the devil's advocate here. Do you think that the employee made the decision to hold it while you pay? Or do you think that the owner of the restaurant or the manager of the restaurant said, we don't want the device to be stolen. Do not leave it on the table. 
I'm just asking which you probably a combination as a, as a business owner, restaurant owner in the past, I could see where maybe a waiter, a wait service person is being clever and knows they've learned they get, they get a tip when they uh, kind of intimidate us. But I would think it's uh, to answer your question, they've been told never to lose sight of this device because they're so expensive and somebody might steal it or somebody might not pay. So okay. I, I so think it's, I think it's the employee has been told this is, these are the rules on how you use this. Okay. There is a perfect example that was unprompted and unscripted, right? So the business made a decision that had negative unintended consequences to the customer because of what the employee had to do. Mm -hmm. It was a good reason. Like, we don't want to lose it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't want you to take it out of your site kind of a thing. Now, they do that in Europe all the time, but there's not Correct. a tipping issue in Europe, no, right? In no. the US, it's a different it's a different scenario. The, the so, reason that technology came about, by the way, is that that that, that card never leaves the customer's hand. So it's a security Correct. reason initially and why they've been doing it in Europe forever. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But, right, let's go back to it. So, you know, that is why you have to think through the decisions you make. Okay, if I don't want to lose the device, right? If that's the reason I don't want the, uh, then instruct the employee to put it down on the table. Don't hold it and step back, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe like, you know, pick up the dishes or get ready for, you know what I mean? So you're not hovering over that's the right. person, right? right? And so there's a perfect example of it wasn't the wrong decision by that general manager or owner of the restaurant. I, I understand the reason why, but let's make sure that then, because what you feel like is you went right to the, well, they feel like if they intimidate me, they're going to get a better tip <laughs> right but, away. Right. It's the employee's fault. And right. it might you not know, be. And I was, I was thinking, but, but I could see the complete opposite being the case. Most of them are just as uncomfortable with it as I am. I suspect. Or they're ambivalent. Like they're yeah, just exactly. Like, this is just what I'm supposed to do. So yep. you're right. And you're ugh, right. I want More you to get out of my falls table. In that category, which is like, oh, I got to sit here. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's a little better than having to run the card back how I used to have to do it. So it's a little better, but I still have to stay up. So yeah, I get what you're saying. And then, you know, even during the pandemic, um, you know, restaurants got away from waiters and waitresses. It was like, you know, here's the QR code on your on your table so you could see the menu and then you order. And and some restaurants, I'm in Los Angeles, have continued to have do kept that today. That, yep. mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will tell you that I don't go back to them. Because it's, Interesting. It's, not, it's not a great experience for me because I might say, hey, I don't, you know, I want this, but I don't want a bun. You know, let's say it's a burger or something and I don't want a bun and I want a salad on the side. Me yeah, and doing I, that, I came to a full service restaurant for a reason, right? Right. And, yeah. and doing that on the app, like saying I don't want a bun and I want a salad is not as intuitive and easy. They don't make it. They make it like no substitutions and changes. Like, let me make it as easy as possible for me the business owner, right? But not the customer. And so we can find examples everywhere. And so I, I hope through this conversation that we've been having that you all of a sudden, you know, the listener, right? All of a sudden says, hold on a second. I am guilty of doing that because I have a really good business reason. Yeah. And, and it's right. Like, I'm not telling you the business reason is not right, but let's take it all the way through execution and make sure that we don't have any blind spots along the way that actually deliver like I'm not going back to those restaurants, that business, I really enjoy their food, but it's just not a great experience for me. To your point, I'm coming to a full service restaurant. I'm paying more expensive and I'm tipping and I'm pretty much doing everything on my own. Yeah. In some cases, they used to have us go up and get our own food. Right. I'm like, so why am I? Why, 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 am I tipping why? Right. 
Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. We've talked about technology and you're an expert on applying technology. So I can't let you go away without asking your thoughts. We could have hours conversation on this alone, but AI, ChatGPT being the most popular version of it right now. What are your thoughts high level on the impact that that's going to have, especially on small businesses? Well, I'm a fan of technology, period. This is just another piece of the puzzle. Small businesses are absolutely under leveraged on technology. They will run the business on Excel spreadsheet. Right. You know, they don't really know what's working and not working. They may not know what their most popular and profitable products are. So it's just kind of what they think in their gut. And that sets us up for uh, trouble down the, down the road. So AI to me is if I went to a small business, I don't care who it is. And let's just say they're selling something. Right. And I asked, tell me what the top three products are uh, for sale, like, you know, the highest volume. And then what are your top three products from a profitability standpoint? Are they the same? They may not know the answer to that question. They may go, well, I think it is, or, you know, historically it's banned. And I'll be like, no, I, you know, I want to, I want to see it. Uh, tell me, because then how do we sell more of what's your most profitable? And if, if your most profitable isn't selling, why not? Is it in the back of the store? Should it be in the front of the store? Is it hidden on the website? Is it not the first thing you say? I don't know. Right. But knowing that kind of detail in your business whether you're a two-person company, a five-person company, or 5,000-person company, is absolutely critical. And then it gives you insights into what should you add to your repertoire. <laughs> like, what products should you add? What should you eliminate? What should you no longer do? What should you source from somewhere else? Because costs have gone up, profit goes down. That kind of insight is very difficult to capture in your head or just on a piece of paper. Right. And so, you know, with the with the transition to cloud, small businesses more than ever can actually get access to technology that used to be reserved for medium and large enterprises. Yeah. So if you're not using it now, there's even freeware out there that will give you more than what you're doing now. So GPT or, you know, in, in any form is a way for you to comb through data craft and structure responses in an automated way, be more responsive to maybe support questions, you know, your top five questions. We have an FAQ page on our website. Well, what if you start a chat on your website and then, you know, an AI bot can start to respond to those questions to reduce phone calls, right? Or mm -hmm. some of the busy work. So this is not about replacing humans. I want to be really clear. This is about replacing human activities that are redundant, repetitive, and transactional to allow your people to do more value-based, personalized, empathetic, uh, pro, you know, uh, efforts that are more um, important to your customers. So it's also not human alone. So I, it's not tech alone. It's not human alone. It is the two working together. So now I would say to you, um, once you've asked yourself all the questions I've just rattled off you know, do the same thing. Am I using technology appropriately? Is there a use case for me for AI today? GPT right. today, CRM today, right? Marketing automation today, uh, you know, financial and e-commerce systems, whatever it might be. Um, I think always asking um, where you can leverage technology to improve the experience for your employees and your customers and improve the health of your business, I'm all for.
Yeah, well said. On the on the general topic of AI, for people who have, you know, they've maybe only seen the sixty minutes special, and I'm a small business owner. What do you recommend to people, in addition to reading your book, as to where where to go to start educating themselves? Is, do you have a resource that you recommend or a thought on that? There are so many people putting out content now, yeah, how and I where know. to use GPT. Um, and so, you know, if if you don't know today, you know, carve out a couple of hours yeah. or a full day. And, and I hate to recommend this because I'm also a fan of work-life balance, but pick a Saturday. Yeah. Get to your office or go into your home office, whatever the case might be, and immerse yourself in examples of play with it, try it, watch a YouTube. You know, there are incredible um, threads on Twitter. There's great how to's on TikTok, right? There's, there is yep. content everywhere. Now, not all content is accurate, right, and relevant to you. Sure, so sure. you're going to have to wade through some you're of it. You're going to have to, yeah. You're right. So if you have a organization, right, or an, uh, uh, that you are part of, so like the CPA organization or the retailer association, or go there and see if they have anything, you know, look to your network. Hey, how are you using it? What are you doing? What have you learned? People you trust and, you know, but you have to be willing to have that beginner's mind to say, I don't know. And you may decide at the end of it, ah, it's not for me, but at least you're coming from a place of, I did my research. And then you may set yourself every 30 days to just go touch base again and make sure, oh, is it time for me now? Is it time for me now? Is it time for me now? Um, that's the kind of approach you have to have as a small business now, if you want to survive and get to 1 million and then 2 million and then 3 million, you may be happy with a $1 million business, but if your profit is squeezing, you know, you always want to be looking for ways to make that million dollars continue to make you uh, the kind of money you're looking to make. Well said. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you more. Um, that's what we have to do as small business owners. We have to continue to educate ourselves, you know, on this topic of AI technology in general, so that I can continue to begin to apply that as I can in my business. Um, just one final question on that. I mean, I, I see this version of, for lack of a better term of AI, what we're seeing emerging here as revolutionary, this is going to change things. Am I just getting swept up in the hype or what do you think? No, I believe it will change things. I believe there has been um, lots of technology advancements over the last 20 years that have changed things. I think this one is one that people can't ignore, mm -hmm. especially as productivity is top of mind, mm -hmm. especially yep. as profitability is top of mind, you know, all of those things. But I also have seen bad use cases of it. I've also seen people use it inappropriately. I've also seen people over index towards letting technology take away the human touch. Yeah. So that is why everybody um, needs to do their own research and, and find ways in which to use it. But if you can get ahead of the game in your industry, in your market, in your little business, and you use it better than your competitors, and you find a special way to present what you do with a more with a wrapper that is more technologically led, you will lead and grow. Mm -hmm. So there is there is benefit if you get ahead of the curve, but that is a large investment in time to understand how and where to use it, why, you know, who's going to use it, what are the rules, use cases, um, et cetera. 
So uh, I don't want to say absolutely it's revolutionary. Apply it across your entire business. Go. <laughs> I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we have to still find ways in which um, the humans and tech can make sure that we stay on the right side of it. Well said. All right. The book that we've been talking about by Tiffany Bova is The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. Uh, before I start to wrap it up here, is there is there a high level key concept that I didn't ask you about that you want us to know about related to this book? Is there anything that I missed? That I, obviously, there's a lot of detail in this book. So, but is there something that stands out that we didn't ask that we didn't chat about that you want to share? No, I think we covered a lot. You know, it's it's always great to be able to take content like this and bring it down to the small businesses. You know, yeah. they are the ones that. Uh, power communities and lift up lives. And, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well uh, in the U.S. as well as around the globe. We've seen more small businesses stand up since the pre-pandemic than we've ever seen. It's inspiring. Um, I'm, I'm always rooting for small business to just grow because they're the ones that have the opportunity to change the world. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it is much more complicated to do it when you're larger. So I, I always enjoy getting the opportunity to uh, challenge myself to bring these kinds of concepts down to small organizations. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Thank you. And as you say in the book, you know, uh, when it relates to big companies, you talk about it starts with the C-suite, but for us as small business owners, as we've are talked about, it starts with me as the owner. I, I have to be the one to invest in these things. I have to be the one to look at this experience mindset and make sure that I am looking at both sides of it. It's not just the customer experience, but the ex employee experience as well. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Speaking of books, I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that comes to mind that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend? Well, I'm going to do a little historical on this one, and then I'll answer with the current book. But Okay. Um, uh, in Search of Excellence by Tom Peters uh, was the first business book I actually ever read. Is that right? And uh, it was published in, like I think, 1981 or 1982. Mm. And just in a little full circle moment, he actually wrote the foreword to this book. Oh, Experience Mindset. fantastic. I didn't yeah, see so, that. Yeah. So it's a full circle moment for me. No, I just, that's a, that's a proud moment. Good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Proud moment. Yeah. yeah. But In Search of Excellence, just the importance of excellence and how to do that. Um, invest in your people. It's all about people, people, people. So um, uh, that's a great one that I always refer to. Um, execution by uh, Ram Sharon is another one. You know, ideas are fantastic, but how do you execute on those? Um, also, another one that uh, is my one of my go-to's um, from the 2000s. Uh, Purple Cow by Seth Godin is how to stand out in a lot of sameness, if you will, right? Like how to be a purple cow in a sea of black and white cows. Um, love anything by uh, Seth. The Art of the Start by Gao, uh, Guy Kawasaki, also a favorite of mine on, on just really how to um, uh, invest in what it's like to start up a business and grow. Uh, the Lean Startup I like because it puts a framework around how to grow businesses um, from, from small to large and, and putting a, a good amount of rigor behind the decisions that you make. Uh, but from a current book, um, my, a dear friend, Laura Gassner-Otting, just wrote a book called Wonder Hell. Um, it's a great title, um, but she uh, really leans into what we think about the challenges we face individually and the reality of what they really are, right? How do we kind of get out of our own way to uh, be successful, not only for ourselves, but for our people, right? Our employees, our families, et cetera. It's a 
it is a great fun read with a lot of stories from people. Um, I, I'm one of the people that she interviewed for it, but it's it's uh, it's a fun it's a fun book. Excellent. Thanks for all of those recommendations. Those are all great books. I've read all of those except for Execution and this new one, Wonder Wonder Hell. So I will have a link to all of these, including, of course, Tiffany's book on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. Let's wrap it up, Tiffany. What's what's one thing you want us to take away from what we've talked about related to your book, The Experience Mindset, from a small business owner's perspective? What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation? Trust the process. Trust the process. We don't all know the answers. It's going to be different for everybody who's listening to this. Everyone is starting from a different place. Everyone's trying to get to a different place. Everyone has a different culture. It is not peanut butter advice for everyone. And so it is not always easy, but it is also not always hard. So uh, I'm, I'm just... I'm rooting for people to trust the process. Mm -hmm. It may take one year, two years, three years, five years, but if you're committed to that, um, every day will be a new challenge full of rewards um, as well as lessons learned. But if you can stay focused on the process and trust that in the end, it will all be okay, then you know, you've, got, you've got a leg up. Yeah, great takeaway. I, I think also related to that, as you pointed out, to ask your employees one way or another, get their input on where we should start. What, what are those bottlenecks? Thanks for that. Where would you like us to go online to find out more? I'm really active online, both on Instagram, Facebook, uh, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. You can kind of find me everywhere. Um, but please connect. You know, I'd love to hear feedback from, from any of you small businesses. Uh, I can't take any more connections on LinkedIn, but drop me a note. Let me know what you agreed with, or even examples of what you've tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked. I'm always open to hearing um, what people don't agree with, with what I said, uh, because <laughs> it helps shape, you know, what I say the next time. So of course, that's what I'd say. What do you mean you can't take any more connections on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm, I'm out of connections. Like they, I, I didn't know there was it. such a thing. <laughs> nor did I, nor did I, I got an that's... email about, I'd say maybe 12 months ago. And they said that I was, I think I was 300 connections away from maxing out. That is crazy. Um, so now it's just, you can only follow me, but um, I, you know, I do read the messages. Yeah. Interesting. I love it. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Could go on for another couple of hours, Tiffany, very enlightening. Thanks for sharing. There's a great book. Again, the book uh, that's available now to pre-order if you're listening to this on the first day, or it's available on Amazon and other places, the experience mindset, changing the way you think about growth. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Henry, for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Tiffany Bova. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can listen and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.